0: This is Power, Power Athlete, Athlete Radio, right,
1: with your hosts, Denny K,
0: <laughs> Professor <laughs> Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs.
2: Tuning into Power Athlete Radio. This episode marks the first of several that pulled the listening audience for questions. Power Athlete Nation hits us up with inquiries regarding programming, lifting, nutrition, and more. John, Luke, and Tex respond with intelligent, well crafted points of education, then provide movie references to emphasize their points. It's business as usual as the guys lend their expertise on all things strength and conditioning. However, one question post requires them to choose just one power athlete program to follow and then explain their reasoning for their choice. John says he's wasted 100 rounds trying to see if it was possible to bend a bullet. Luke claims that the new Point Break movie doesn't suck, which means that it obviously does. And Tex just wants someone to play spikeball with. These are just some of the highlights of episode 154.
0: Now here's the show.
3: You are the intro today. I want to hear you fucking drop the premier podcast and strength and conditioning. Let's. So you're you're gonna be the rolling. You got it.
1: The premiere premier podcast and strength and
0: conditioning. All right. You can exactly. honestly, okay. you uh, can call whatever I'm, you want. I'm gonna need a little bit of excitement from you. Like I'm not talking about, you know, talking about rate coding or force production or challenging posture position through external dynamic movements. I'm talking about, I'm about to set it off up in this motherfucking piece. You're getting ready to introduce Snoop Dogg in old school. <laughs> That's what I want you think about this. Like, yeah, he'll be like, bringing you live at Stereo City where well, we're slashing prices all day long. <laughs> Power Athlete Radio, the premier podcast. I'm introducing you to your friend and my mentor, Snoop Dogg. You know, something like that. Um, you know, Let's get it. Set it off up in this piece. All right. Ready, ready?
1: Welcome to Power Athlete Radio, the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Tech's here in Washington, D.C., and I'm joined via phone with Luke Summers and John. B. <laughs> So we are opening up to Q and A from the audience, and we have a fantastic question to lead us off. John, you ready for this one?
0: You know, I, I don't really classify myself as much as I'm a talker, so I'm going to do my best <laughs> to really take a backseat role and let you guys really lead. Just because I, you know, when I go back and listen to the podcast, I'm always like, dude, just shut up. But give it—I'll try to give brief answers, really just smart hits. But I know what will happen. I'll just end up just fucking running out the mouth. Well, here we go.
3: Text now. I gotta, I gotta say, with you, you know, with you at leading the helm here, with with reading these questions,
0: it, it feels like an inside the Actors Studio vibe. Do you get that feel, John? Uh, it's called inside the Actors Guild. Whatever. Thanks so? for the correction. I thought you weren't talking today. Uh,
3: I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, let's do it. Text rolling.
1: All right. First question: Do vegetarians eat animal crackers? This is from Philbert eighty-eight.
3: Uh, do we do we before we jump into that, John? Do we know what the ingredients are of animal crackers? Can we
0: look that up real quick? Well, yeah, I'm sure we can probably figure it out. Let's see, because I believe what are in an animal crackers. All right.
3: Uh, so there's a lot of it, there's a lot of information coming out that that plants are sentient, right? So if we murder plants, let's well, say wheat.
0: Well, the the idea is, um, you know, plants and trees have been shown to be, um, uh, what are they called? Um, sentient. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, sentient beings. And that's very true. I mean, if you look at uh, forests and how they kind of group together and they use, I mean, uh, James Cameron's, um, you know, uh, Avatar. Yeah, Avatar isn't really that far off. I mean, uh, there's some really interesting stuff that they found. So, uh, you know, the idea that you know, you're actually, you know, ripping a, uh, you know, plant or fruit or something from the tree, I mean, they believe will cause some form of trauma for that sentinel bean.
3: So I guess with that said, you know, it wouldn't be in a a vegan's best interest to go with the animal crackers. But let's say you're not a vegan and you are uh, an omnivore like me. I, I do eat animal products. When I typically eat animal crackers to limit and minimize the amount of like stress and trauma and suffering for the animal cracker, I tend to eat the head first. So I bite the head off to remove and try to, you know, to minimize that, that trauma and stress for the poor animal. Like if I'm doing a draft, I usually could just take that draft off right about the 13th vertebrae.
0: Uh, the ingredients for animal crackers are uh, 13, ca- uh, 13 crackers offer r- roughly 100 calories. They're made from enriched flour, which includes wheat flour, niacin, reduced iron, thiamine, um, and they also have uh, riboflavin, which is B2, folic acid, sugar, soybean oil. High fructose corn syrup, salt, baking soda, soy, uh, lectins as an emulsifier, natural flavors and spices, primarily nutmeg and mace. So, um, you know, there was uh, Diane Rogers did a great blog post on Rob Wolf's site. I think it was yesterday, talking about you know the uh, you know the interaction with her and her child or her two kids. They live on a farm. I was fortunate to go to their farm and have an amazing dinner during the uh, Ancestral Health Symposium a couple years ago. Uh, You know, and as kids that grow up on farms, they, you know, like to play in the water. So the kids were down in the creek, kind of their, where their, you know, water uh, storage or whatever you could call it, you know, their uh, natural ponds. And they go down there, collect crawfish and play in the water. And I guess she had a play date over. And as they walked down there with their buckets to go and dig and play in the water, uh, they came across a sheep that had obviously been attacked by a coyote. So, uh, you know, she kind of described the scene that there was blood everywhere. The eyes were eaten out. The whole insides were gutted out. And it just looked like a, you know, crime scene out of the movies. And, you know, her daughter, or I think her daughter's eight or 10 years old, maybe a little bit younger. uh, You know, was pretty traumatized by this. And the girl and the friend was very traumatized. And she took it as an opportunity to talk to her daughter about, uh, you know, the pains and the real world that, uh, you know, this is how nature works and, you know, animals pass away in this way and this, you know, kind of idealistic uh, vision that, you know, like an elephant walking off into the distance to go to the elephant graveyard where it peacefully passes away and turns into dust is not a realistic perception or image or even understanding of nature. And most animals, you know, especially things like sheep, I mean, rudiment animals that you know, have been the <laughs> deluxe meal of carnivores and predators for centuries uh meet their demise in a pretty you know harsh way uh on a sidebar. Um Luke, you're gonna appreciate this, but I watched the Reverend the other day. And that scene where the bear is attacking him might be the one of the most intense scenes I've ever seen in a movie. So Yeah,
3: I was uh so when uh, I saw that I was with the I was with the clinic in the front row because that was the only seats left. It was the clinic and Mrs. Clinic. And uh dude I like we talk about the tension through your shoulder girdle as stress hits you uh, in training. And we also kind of make an analogy to like, you know, or taxes scary movie, your kids are fucking jamming you up. You just kind of get this stress and you carry it in your traps, dude. I, I cramped like my traps were cramping during that scene. Cause I was like, Holy dude, fuck.
0: Uh, like, like all uh, I love when you hear these like idealistic, you know, people being like, Oh, you know, things are so shitty now. If only I could go back in time. Uh, I always, I, I do. They need to watch that fucking scene. But, um, some, somebody asked me the other day, you know, like kind of made the point about that. And I was like, Oh, I completely agree. I would go back to the 1970s. And they were like, what? I was like, yeah, if I could go back in time to any deal, uh, I like go back to the seventies. Like, well, what would you take with me? I'm just my wife and kids. And, um, I'd be awesome. I'd rock a mustache. I'd have bell bottoms. We'd have a uh, black and white TV. And, uh, you know what? we can live in the 70s, dude. My kids would ride bikes and uh, wear short shorts, dude. It was, uh, it was, those were great days to live in. And I'm so. And I'm, uh, there'd definitely be no cell phones and fucking internet. But um, so to get off on uh, this, so she takes this as a learning opportunity to talk to her daughter about nature. And uh, she, you know, the little girl was pretty upset. She goes to bed and, you know, before she goes to bed, they're tucking her in. She starts crying again. And so they give us another opportunity to talk. And I guess her dad made a point. He's like, you know, uh, this is how nature works. Uh, you know, that animal will... Uh, you know, basically decompose and the bones will turn into calcium, which will effectively feed the soil, which will you know grow kale. And, you know, that'll be something that will subside on and something will raise. And the little girl kind of shot up and was like, so wait a minute, like the bones become kale. And they're like, yeah, it enriches the soil. And, you know, it's a process. That's like the, the, the cycle of life, the circle of life. And like, I guess the little girl was like, well, then vegans can't be vegans because if they're eating the kale that was processed and, and, you know, and w- was was grown based upon this animal demise. Then, you know, then then it's it's impossible for anybody to be a vegan. So it was just kind of a cute story. And of course, you know, uh, some you know vegetarian vegan jumps on there and wants to you know bring up some bullshit about how uh, heart disease is you know, which obviously is the number one killer in America is caused by animal products, which is just a blanket claim It's perpetuated by the media, but unfortunately has been disproven so many times. But the problem we run into this country is people believe what they want to believe, not the truth. And just because it's the truth, um, probably makes it even harder to believe because it doesn't fit your personal agenda. So,
3: so I guess with that said, I bet you there's some vegans out there that are eating animal crackers, but the reality of it is the soil that we grow and use to grow plants has nutrients from, deceased animals so there's like it's a circle of life so you can't avoid it is that what you're saying jay well
0: yes that's exactly what i'm saying well there you go well
3: good show guys uh what else do we
0: you know what i mean what this really goes back to and and uh, you know my hard thing especially with like the vegan and vegetarian deal is it always starts with this uh, well you know it's healthier well it's not healthier uh, yeah. it's, and that's you know, you
3: know that's one thing we talk about, John, at the, at the seminar is like when people, cause this comes up during nutrition, it's like, Hey, if someone's going to tell me it's healthier, I, I, you like, you feel compelled to go to battle with that. But for anyone listening to this, that may suck, be a vegan or a vegetarian or whatever, and it's truly for like a moral high ground, you know, we got kind of in a battle with a dude and it's like, Hey, listen, I just value animal life better than I value my health and performance then like, I, I just, I won't argue with that. You know, then that's the decision you've made. You are in charge of yourself as, you know, uh, as your soul protect, like you, you're in charge of protecting yourself and your family. If you want to value a fucking cow's life more then do it, but don't tell me it's
0: healthier because we, there's so much well, information. Well, that's, that's contradictory. That's always, well, that's always the crux. It starts there. And then when you disprove that it's not healthier and actually it's completely uh, opposite of how we were designed to eat more importantly, health and wellness. Uh, then instantly it becomes this, uh, this, this moral high ground. I'm somehow morally better because I'm not going to make the animals suffer for, to, to feed me. Um, and it, it's kind of a, you know, insane argument in both ways, but um, you know, like, I, yeah. but that's
3: that's a hard belief system to break, John, you know? So it's like, oh, that's I, where we go into I, I, Chuck Norris's approach where it's like, let them believe it then forget about well, it. You can't save those people.
0: Well, that's our deal. Like I'm, I'm, I'm never going to argue with somebody belief in, in a belief system. I mean, when people buy into an ideology and they believe they're buying into something bigger than them, that is where wars have started. I mean, that's religion and you know, where, what camp you put yourself into as a uh, you know, in terms of diet, in terms of this, I mean, all these things, I mean, these are big time ideologies and people buy into this stuff and that's where they really sit. And um, you know, uh, my job is not to try to convince you, Otherwise, or that you know, I'm right and you're wrong. Not at all. My deal is about just providing the, the best information possible, so that you can make the most educated choice for you as the individual. And if your choice leads you down this path, and that's the path you want to go, then you know what? Then that's I'm more than happy to support you. Um, I, I follow, uh, I think his name's Cameron Hayes on Instagram, who's a big bow hunter hunter, and he's a uh, you know I, just super amazing shot with a bow. I wish I got to practice as much with my bow as you know one tenth of what he gets but he was, you know, you know, post some really, really, you know, big time kills. And I think he, uh, post a picture of, you know, he goes up and he hunts bears up in, I think in Alberta somewhere. And it was like, you know, Hey, this is this bear that I took. And, uh, you know, these things, you know, they hunt them in terms of, you know, not conservation, but this idea of like, you know, you have to be able to have to limit the population because they really have no natural predators. And so, you know, and if you have, uh, an out of control bear population, they will destroy everything. You know, not only will they, you know, uh, you know, go after different animals, but this. I mean, you have to really work on kind of tearing that down now that they don't have any natural enemies. And uh, reading the comments are like, uh, I can't believe you did this to this beautiful animal. I would gladly put a bullet in your head. And you're like, so wait a minute, you are so adverse to you know me, you know, harvesting this animal in the cycle of life, but yet you would gladly kill me. Uh, as a result. So I don't get it. So you value animal life over human life way more like, it's it, it's just a, I don't know, man, it, it's a weird deal. And, uh, I always, I, I just always hope that people are trolling, that this is some 17 year old kid who just wants to stir shit up by making a phony account and saying these things because I just can't really wrap my head around, uh, you know, people and you know, this deal, but, uh, you know, the internet's created this anonymity where you can basically say and do what you want. And there's, you know, no repercussions, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a strange deal.
3: Yeah, man. Well, I guess with that said, Tex, let's just go ahead and segue into more of like a a, a more enlightening topic to talk about that won't take John into that dark, dark place.
1: All right. So we've got a couple training questions. that I think will be short and sweet. So the first one, here we are. It's <clears throat> from Bruno Kokuru from Brazil. I want to know what you guys think about post-activation potentiation. Do you use it? If yes, how many interval time between the heavy load and the explosive activity?
0: What kind of? First of all, I'd ask, what kind of athletes are you kind of, or are you working with? I mean, the idea is uh, like like post-activation potentiation. It's the idea of uh, like enhancing like muscular like contactile force uh, of like a previous contraction, I guess. It's like if um, if I were to hit like a five RM back squat and then follow it up with like an explosive movement, it's really that, what would they call that path or that like post activation potentiation. So the idea is that you overload, uh, you know, the system and then you force the body to do something dynamic, which we know as our manual resistance, which is the idea that by, fatiguing neuromuscular pathways we're going to follow it up with some form of dynamic movement which is going to force the body to create new neuromuscular pathways to figure out how to you know do new things uh which is not only a way to get stronger but also um you know great training method uh we do it quite often in a more advanced program and we'll do it similar with like back squats or heavy pull or something and then mix it with some form of plyometric dynamic movement uh, the first you know we we used it quite often but the first time i ever really ever heard it put into a program and, um, with great efficacy was from uh, Dr. Romanoff talking about training, uh, guys for the 40 yard dash and, you know, training, uh, NFL players about having them do heavy triples on a back squat or a front squat, then immediately having them walk over and do, you know, uh, you know, uh, flying starts where, you know, you get about a 10 yard run and then you accelerate for 10 yards. And then they were having another one where they were doing it with box jumps, and they were doing broad jumps, and they were really kind of mixing, kind of periodizing it in. So, is it um, uh, is it a benefit? Is it a, a, you know is it good? Yes, it's a, it's very good. Um, the thing becomes though, uh, at which type of athletes are you training? What's the application? Uh, do you understand how to apply it? Is there some form of loading? And on top of it, you know, what's the base level of conditioning of those athletes? Are they uh, conditioned enough to be able to do um, a heavy tight movement and follow that up with some form of dynamic movement, in such a way that it is of benefit. Because what we see, yeah, is and John,
3: you know, that's totally is it. like it's. I think what I would say is you're going to sprinkle this in for like a wad for your gen pop. Don't pretend that you're doing like you're doing advanced type of training. This is something that is is implemented and consistently applied for trained athletes who know how to reduce and produce force. And what comes to mind, Tex, is one of your bedtime articles that you posted uh, about preparing for plyometrics, right? And it's like, our, like, go read Tex's article and put your athlete through these assessments to see if they're even ready for plyometric training because, are, you have months of training ahead of you just to prepare them to do this type of training, you know? It, like, I wouldn't put it in a Jet Pop class unless you're just trying to have fun with something, you know what I mean? But, uh, I don't know. I just wanted to kind of throw that in there, John, maybe steer, steer yeah. the discussion that way.
0: No, no. I mean, it's, it's, um, like the problem is well, not a, the problem, but a problem we run into with a lot of strength conditioning is there's so many different ways to skin the cat. There's so many different ways to, to really attack this thing. Uh, where we really differ is the idea that everything follows a progression that, you know, uh, it's, you know, we bring in beginning athletes that are just getting introduced to a barbell. We just want to do a basic linear progression just to give them enough reps under load so that they end up developing movement patterns and, you know, uh, reinforcing those patterns and you know, all of a sudden, once they get good at it, we we're using weight to challenge posture and position with those movement patterns and we kind of linear progress it. Um, So that becomes our primary goal. And then the minute when they get into a more advanced template, like an intermediate type deal, now we can start doing what I always called contrast training. And it's also known as PAP or uh, um, the uh, post activation potentiation uh, is the idea that you're going to do these movements and then immediately follow them up with some form of dynamic explosive movement. And uh, we use it quite often in the field strong programming, uh, you know, especially in the last two cycles, we've been doing a primarily uh, sprint prep, Olympic lifting uh, plyometric program to get people to really sprint, which actually goes really well with Texas um, uh, speed program. And the idea was, you know, we were coming out of the winter. You know, we'd done a lot of heavy work. I wanted to get people into uh, shape, you know, doing some plyo conditioning, just help build a base level of conditioning. Because where we see people get hurt when they start sprinting isn't really the fact that, you know, they're, you know, in what I'd say in shape. It's just that they're not in shape to sprint or they're not used to doing dynamic max effort type movements. You know, if you jog 400 meters in between, you know, 50 air ball or 50 wall balls, um, you know, you're in probably pretty good shape because that's hitting your lungs. But now all of a sudden we ask somebody to do a max effort type sprint, and they're going to hurt themselves just because, uh, you know, their legs and their bodies and their muscles really aren't able to, uh, you know, or just aren't prepped to do that type of dynamic movement. So um, with, uh, you know, the pap type stuff, I mean, if the athlete's strong, he understands the movement patterns and he's in good enough shape to actually get useful work. Like for example, if he comes in, he, he, he's got, he squats a, a heavy triple. And he's so taxed that, uh, you know, it takes him five minutes to recover between sets, uh, you know, and he goes over and you ask him to do, hey, we're going to do, uh, you know, continuous triple broad jumps, which is the idea that you're going to take one broad jump and you're going to, uh, you know, tie it seamlessly into the next one into a third one. And, you know, you want to do two or three reps or, uh, you know, a triples on this. And, you know, he jumps four inches because he's so tired, he can't really, you know, harness himself you know, is there really efficacy in doing it? So there has to be kind of a balance of not only are they in shape, are they in good enough shape? And I wrote an article and talked to me, Johnny, years ago called, do I have to be in shape? That really talked about this. Uh, Have I created a base level of fitness or a base level of conditioning enough to be able to do this type of training, uh, you know, so that it's both meaningful and then on top of it, do I understand, how and how and where this fits into the cycle of my programming, what level at which my athlete is at, what he, what is he training for? And ultimately what am I trying to get out of this? Um, you know, the idea that I'm just going to use this in a wad is a terrible idea because, uh, you know, you need complete max effort type movements. If I squat a heavy triple and then go in and I got to do, you know, five max effort type box jumps. And, you know, I mean, those have to be, uh, you know, 80 plus percent better than what you think you can do for a 1RM. I mean, it just has to really find in. So um, I've used it pretty extensively, especially when I'm working with kind of power athletes. Uh, it worked really well when I when I was working with bobsledders and also with football players and even some of the um, – as you know, Luke, we did that a lot with Christian where we would uh, pull a heavy deadlift or squat and then have him do the, uh, the box overs. So uh, – <clears throat> You know, I, I, yes, it works very well. Um, uh, it's, uh, you know, a very real principle and, uh, there's a lot of people that really hang their hat and make their money that way. Do we use it? Yes. But it has to be at the right time in the right place and done with the right volume and intensity to really get the, the results. And, and uh,
1: if I can add in, on just the, the prudency changes for a novice and a trained athlete, so we still apply it to both athletes and feel strong but the purpose we're going for with the novice is going to be a decreased excitation which will help them relax and get more benefit from the plyometrics while we're working with a trained athlete it's going to be increase so that we can then get the most out of the plyometrics as well so prudency changes a little bit and I'll tell you one interesting thing from experience with the the MR that's that's one way that I can tell a novice versus a trained athlete. So the rep that they start to turn on will tell you everything you need to know. Rep one, they're already on. That's their best rep. It's going to be a trained athlete and rep three and four. That'll show you novice.
3: So there you have it, people. I think we crushed that one, didn't we?
1: Oh yeah. Should we move on? We want training question here. Uh, somebody's asking for your phone number, Luke.
3: I don't know his name. Uh, tell, ask him which one. And tell, I'll, I'll I'll direct message her my burner number so Ashley doesn't find out. It's a deal. I mean, right. it's oh,
0: oh, your burner? Your, uh, <laughs> uh, uh... uh, Yeah, the fucking bat phone?
3: The bat phone. There's only a few people who have the bat phone number. I don't even think Tex has it. Only Harry Shaw? Harry Shaw and Tyler Mitten have my fucking bat phone. How sad is that?
1: Uh. <laughs> Uh do we want to stick with training or go nutrition here?
3: Yes, let's hit let's hit training and then drop into the nutrition.
1: Okay. So this is gonna be an easy one. How do you guys develop stability in the bottom of a squat? Rep work, pause work, what do you guys like? Thanks. This is from Tex, United just, Front Barbell.
0: Text, just go. I know you're like, you want this so bad. Go Tex. Yeah, I'll I'll take a back seat. I I know Yeah. Okay, go.
1: Where do I even begin here? So we were talking about post uh, activation. But for this one, we can talk about pre activity preparation. Uh, So stability, our way of developing that is definitely from the ground up. So we set your posture and without posture, you will never be stable in the bottom of the squat. So, are we? So, Tex,
3: What, like, what do you think? What do you think he means by, sti- like, what is? What are going to be signs of instability at the bottom of the squat? What do you think? Let's try and break those four or five things up.
1: Uh, I'm going to say loss of posture, either in the butt wink or kind of trunk case forward.
0: Um, valgus knee.
1: Valgus interior, knee.
0: Interior uh, tibial. What What I'm imagining is instability. Shifting is uh, not knowing how to breathe. Um, You know, the most people that I've seen that I do what's called the uh, uh, lumbar lumbata, where all of a sudden they get at the bottom, and it looks like they're, like, you know, trying to do the lumbata at the bottom of the squat. Uh, Just a lot of people don't really understand about setting your breath, clamping the molars down, how to really create uh, tension. The
3: balsalva. Balsalva.
0: I mean, that was probably uh, one of the most – disconcerting and amazing things to me when I started working with uh, the CrossFit community was this idea that people did understand how to create tension and like you know little things like like when you put your you know hand on the bar the idea of like you know grabbing the bar and like bringing your lats down and driving up and creating torque in that upper body uh, or taking in a big breath you know drawing in your trunk and like kind of you know, filling that belly full of air. And then, you know, as you get to the bottom, driving the knees out, trying to spin them on those dinner plates, trying to crack a walnut in your butt cheek. I mean, all these cues that if you've been to the CF, you know, our seminar, uh, you've heard, you know, all of us use uh, is about creating, uh, you know, tension through the entire system. And, you know, watching people, you know, squat or pull or really do anything. um, You know, it's just, it's amazing that people don't, you know, haven't learned it. And I think it's, it's uh, because they've never been coached. I mean, for example, this morning, um, you know, I wanted to warm up with a little uh, bamboo bar. So uh, Nate, who, you know, the bamboo bar is basically, well, really everything's Nate's kryptonite, but the bamboo bar is Nate's extra super kryptonite. So we load it up. And, uh, you know, Nate's pretty strong. You know, he's a 345 bencher. I mean, which, you know, at 200 pounds is pretty decent. And, uh, you know, he puts anything, anything approaching any decent weight on the bamboo bar. And it's just all over the place. And uh, you know, I end up working up to like, you know, what is the like 275 for a set of eight on the bamboo bar, which is a pretty good bench. Uh, and he's just like, man, like you're able to push it in straight lines and I can't get anywhere near that. Like, why is it? I'm like, dude, you just don't know how to create torque in the system. You don't know how to like create stability. And more importantly, you don't understand the, the, uh, the position because the bar will find its natural position. And the more you fight against it, uh, the more, you know, the more it will have. And so, we did that for a warm up and then we hit some floor press and you know he's a strong dude but just that inability to really create tension in the system and uh, it's something i learned you know playing football i mean um, you know the idea that uh you know if you were to hit somebody with like you know a wet noodle model versus a hammer uh you know the hammer has to be rigid and you have to be it's the same thing with like you know like throwing a punch like, the front has to be fluid, and you have to be able to snap that punch out at the right exact moment to, to make that thing, you know, be a uh, be a hammer. So, you know, that idea of, of uh, creating tension, and, uh, you know, Dr. Ant is great with talking about task-specific tension. And, yeah,
3: tension uh, to the task. Tension to the task is what he likes to say.
0: Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's something when you lift weights about basically being able to create tension when you need it most. And that was something that really struck me early on in, in our, across the football seminars is just getting people under load and then just getting them into position with the bar on their back and being like, okay, great. We're just going to hold you in this position. I want you to feel tight in your trunk and kind of like poke and prod them, you know, you know, this, and then like, all of a sudden they realize like I have all these systems that have to work in unison. So, um, I would say it's, uh, you know, not really, you know, learning how to breathe or really how lack of breath. Um, you know, how, for me, my, my great trick is to bite down on, clamp down my rear molars. I take in a, a breath and I don't push my belly out, but I kind of draw it in. And then I pull down and it kind of helps me torque. And I basically drive against the bar, drive my knees out, you know, flex and just hit that movement and try to create tension through the whole deal. So, and then over time, and then, and then, and then over time, you just naturally do it. It's not something you even have to think about.
1: And the dead bug allows you the opportunity to practice that. So we don't want you breathing and losing kind of breathing through your belly up. It's breathing through kind of breathing through your lungs, and you develop that tension which will equal the barbell. So we can challenge that by raising arms or lowering legs, just adding some form of stress. And I know you're going to break underneath the barbell if we're just lowering both legs at the same time, for example, and you start to breathe out of your belly. So we can kind of test to see where you'll fail, I guess, in the stability of the bottom of your squat. If you can knock that up, out, then guess what we do next? Kind of testing the Spider-Man and um, see your hamstring, see your hip stability if we pick both hands up off the ground. So we're not only testing to see where you're going to fail in your stability, the bottom of the squat, but we're also giving you the opportunity to correct and master that.
3: Solid. I guess I'm still just confused. Like, where the sti- like, where do people have lack of stability? Is is? Do you think he's talking trunk, John, or is it like hips, ankles? Uh, is it well, glute amnesia? Well, and I mean, also one thing I would ask too is yeah. like, if this is a specific person, this guy is talking about, how long have they been lifting weights, and what does the programming look like? If they've been in CrossFit and you squat once every two weeks, like what do you expect? Because if you talk about the tensioning too, John, I know you're like dying to jump in, but like that's the beauty of being a good CrossFitter is minimizing the amount of tension required to perform a task. So you don't blow out early.
1: Well, you know? I'm so, watching this Instagram lifts, lifts right now and it's not too hot. United front barbell, but go ahead. John.
0: So, so it's, well, it might be well, personal. Well, the, um, the, uh, the idea of, you know, where are most people, Uh, you know, I guess, unstable in, in the squat. Uh, It's actually through the full range of motion. So I've, I've seen very few people that were, you know, they could stand in a, you know, a loaded position with the bar on their back and it's called a walkout, you know, all of a sudden just in that position that here I am in the static deal, I'm going to put the bar on my back. I'm going to, you know, stand with a heavy barbell and, you know, we use that like in, you know, some of the powerlifting guys I'm working with now. I mean, you know, uh, before the contest, we'll do some heavy walkouts just so that they get used to that load and all. And I, I, I love seeing it under film because all of a sudden what you see in that loadout or that walkout ends up becoming a reality in the movement. If they can't stand in a, isometric hold with weight supported um you know they're going to struggle because first thing that's going to happen is if the upper back breaks everything else is going to crumble uh if the knees become valgus and we have dynamic valgus knees you know that becomes you know very problematic and you know the other thing too is most people are extremely weak in the trunk i mean the idea that uh you know the only midline stability training you need to do is loading under a barbell um you know for many athletes, it's okay, but for a lot of people, need to do just a tremendous amount of trunk work. That's why in all of the programs I write with Field Strong and anybody that's listening to this that, that does Field Strong, Jack Steve on any of the things that I put out, will know that there is almost a dedicated section every single day called trunk work, and they will know that in those warm-ups, it is all some form of uh, trunk work. Because, you know, for me as an individual, uh, I think that's where I made my money as an NFL player. I mean, I had guys that I played with that had horrific back injuries. And I was always thinking like, man, I got to just avoid this because that back injury was the coup de gras. So, I mean, yeah, I had knee issues, but, uh, you know, on the shoulder. But for some reason, I, uh, you know, because I put so much time and work into really training that trunk. Um, and I used the word trunk because obviously you guys know I hate the word core. Uh, because it reminds me of fucking people on boosie balls that look like apples. But um, it's, uh, you know, it's just really been uh, a huge part of our stuff. So um, basically, if you're unstable in the bottom of the squat, one, you probably need to squat more. And two, you need to be doing more trunk work. And two, you need to get with somebody that can teach you these movements. Um, You know, and the other fun one is if you want a quick fix, uh, buy a safety squat bar. You'll see uh, people that don't know how to get their upper back into a nice tight position and people that have uh, really weak hips. If all of a sudden you start changing the loading pattern. So uh, get some coaching.
3: Yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, I think I'm a big fan Tex, of like hammering the side pillars as well. In addition to Spider-Man's and your Spider-Man, your seesaw walk, your dead bug. I just like the side pillar starfish as well to call out any sort of instabilities.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it could be anything we'd have to watch him lift, but I think we, we covered all the bases more or less.
3: I would say, can I, can I just give, I like, I'm going to say it depends. So let me draw two personalities. Like if you have a food, if you're an emotional eater, keto's not going to work for you. It's yes. just not like it's, it's hard. It is hard. And, uh, uh, I think you're going to be more successful on the leaning protocol. And with that said, we don't do like, if it fits your macros, you can have a pot tarps for carbs. We're not at like food quality. does matter, but, and doing all the protocols personally uh the keto's hard and the leaning protocol allows that balance that i think uh you're you're more happy to be hungry on an isocaloric approach than you are to be hungry ketogenic you know what i mean john does that make sense
0: well yeah the um so like here in the issue um really the secret to life and really the secret to all this stuff, diet, nutrition is balance. Um, you know, if your idea of leaning out is, uh, you know, and I don't necessarily know what that means. I mean, it usually means somebody just wants to lose some body fat. Um, you know, something like the leaning protocol, hence the name will work extremely well. Um, and the reason being is cause it's uh, alternating days with uh, different macronutrient ratios. So we're going to give you, you know, carb up days. We're going to you know, give you some uh, low carb days and we're going to try to cycle through them because the idea is that your body's always searching for this idea of homeostasis and the minute that it finds homeostasis. And that's why a lot of people fail. I mean, that's why almost every single diet in America works at some point, but then fails. And the reason being is whenever people get into a diet, it's usually changing. People aren't dieting into their present, Uh, deal. If you're obese, you know, this is what I've been doing now. I'm going to make a change and it works. But the problem is, is uh, our bodies are based on this idea of homeostasis. So all of a sudden you lose weight, but then what does the body think? I have a natural set point within it. And let's say I'm a 300 pound man. And all of a sudden I, you know, bust my ass. I work out extra. I change my diet. I do all these things, counting calories, calorie restriction here. And I get down to 265 pounds. Great. Awesome. I met my goal. Now, I have to maintain or do more or do something change to try to push my goal even farther. But then what do people do? They keep doing, or, you know, or they, they lax off a little bit. I hit my goal. And then all of a sudden what happens? The body instantly goes back to what its set point was because it takes months and months and months of being at that present body weight to reset that, you know, that set point. So what the body does is when it sees it losing weight it all of a sudden, you know, lowers metabolism, you don't feel as good, all these other things. So uh, the idea of diets really just kind of fails in a lot of ways. Uh, But what we've really pushed with our protocols is the idea of food quality, the idea that you're going to eat real foods. And, you know, we offer people a bunch of different approaches to try to fit what's best for them. Um, You know, if, uh, uh, you know, for a long time, I kind of bought in a little bit into the uh, calories in calories out deal and that it's about, you know, uh, you know, calorie balance and energy expenditure, and this and that. If your EMR is, uh, you know, three thousand calories a day, and you eat three thousand, and you exercise into a deficit, you know, all of a sudden you should lose. But the problem is that doesn't work, um, and it's failed. And you know, uh, and if it and if it did work, then why are so many doctors obese? Because that's what they prescribe. I mean, every doctor you go to when you start dealing with people that are obese is, "Hey, you need to exercise more. You need to eat less." And you're like, okay, so if if calorie restriction was the magic, you know, bullet that people think it is, then you know what, we wouldn't have problems with obesity. Uh, I read an interesting study uh, that was talking about um, what happens to people when they go on exogenous insulin. So we have a kind of an interesting deal in this country where we have type 1 and type 2 diabetics. Type 1 diabetics are people that no longer, their body, their pancreas no longer produces insulin. So what do we do? We give them exogenous insulin to uh, backfill what their body is not doing. How do we treat type 2 diabetics? The same exact way. But what do we know about type 2 diabetics? Their bodies are no longer insulin sensitive. So what that means is their body is producing insulin. It's just they are not able to get the result that they that we're looking for from the present amount of insulin. So what we do is we give them more exogenous insulin to try to, uh, you know, have the body take notice. So in essence, it's like giving an alcoholic, treating an alcoholic with more alcohol. And, uh, if you look at all of the different information, one thing happens to type two diabetics. When you start giving them exogenous insulin, they end up all gaining weight, regardless of what their diets look like. A lot of people still exercise, still do this, but the predominant thing is that they end up gaining weight. And why is that? Because more insulin, more storage hormone. So, I mean, the idea is, uh, and, uh, you know, I think what we've really done is uh, we've really just, you know, failed in a lot of ways, not only with, uh, you know, recommending diet protocols and, you know, just really in big pharma in a lot of ways, but um, sorry to get off on a soapbox, but case in point, you want to lean out. The easiest thing to do is follow the lean protocol. What we do is we alternate between, you know, different macronutrient ratios, which gives enough variety and, um, you know, helps the body fight out a homeostasis. And uh, you know allows you to keep working, but the biggest deal is that you know we send it over to tell me what to eat. It's all basically eating real foods. Um, I refuse to believe that if you fit if it fits your macros uh, will ever make sense. And I I know there's some really really sharp people that believe it, but um, it doesn't work. Uh, it just hasn't. And, and John, I think I, mean, I think I mean, like right we. Well, I'm I'm just just going to
3: go like anecdotally, man, we've tried almost everything. And like there's without a doubt when you eat shitty, like it feels shitty and the training is shitty and everything's like shitty. So it's, you know, one thing people got to realize is like uh, this is the stuff. The products that we put out are a product of things we have tried. And if it fucking worked for us, we would recommend it. And it Dr. when we had Dr. Wally on, he's like, yeah, Mike gets get better body comp, but let's take a look under the hood, you know? And that's where, that's where people don't take the time to get their blood work and see this shit.
0: But yeah. well, it's, 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 uh, the reason that it should fit your macros is so popular is because it's like, Hey, um, I was eating two cheeseburgers and you know what? I'm going to eat one cheeseburger. So I'm going to do some calorie restriction. I don't have to change that much. I just have to change the amount and like telling people they can eat the same things as long as they can fit it in. And, you know, I mean, dude, we fought this fought a long time ago when, you know, the powers that be were trying to tell us, you know, with uh, the zone and Barry Sears that, you know, you can stay in the zone. If you put fucking spray butter on a pop tart, that the idea that there was this magic macronutrient ratio, that if you ate within the zone, it would safeguard you from all this other shit. And that, you know, I mean, I was sitting at a CrossFit event when they gave the talk that you can zone with beer, potato chips and beef jerky and um, you know, and uh, slim chips, not beef jerky. And yeah, um, while that, you know, can happen, you can't technically stay in a 40, 30, 30, uh, there's no way to, there's no magic macro nutrient, you know, you know, it, and, and I, I always love it. If it fits your macros, what the fuck does that mean? Right? Like, let's take a step back your macros. So there's some magical computer that you can put yourself into that'll spit out your perfect macros. I mean, the closest we've ever seen is, uh, with Dan Reardon's uh, fitness genes. You know they go and they analyze all the all the genes and I got a, a deal back that said i 'm extremely insulin sensitive so what that means is i 'm ins- insulin efficient that means that uh, my body does more with less so Luke on the other hand's body is extremely um, totally opposite end yeah. yeah totally opposite he's uh, insulin uh, he's not efficient with insulin so his body needs more now what that means and in, in just pure and fucking simple language is i 'm more apt to eat a lower carb diet while Luke is apt to eat a higher carb diet. So, I mean, like, um, you know, uh, like, and that makes sense. Like not everybody's the same. So, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I've looked at other diet stuff other people are doing and, you know, most people are similar to us in that they usually start somewhere isochloric with a balanced, you know, you know, 33, 33, kind of thirds diet. You know, they find, uh, you know, basically off of like, um, you know, basic BMR calculation. They try to figure out like, Hey, okay, what's your BMR? And then they try to you know, factor in, you know, well, how many calories are you going to burn for exercise? And from there they, you know, just figure a balanced diet. And then, you know, as you diet down, uh, people have different approaches. One is, um, you know, let's pull fat, which is uh, you know pretty standard in terms of you know, most people in this country who still believe that fat is a bad thing, and that's really just the standard old guard, the idea that, oh, you know what, let's keep uh, you know, carbs and um, uh, protein high we'll just yank fat out of the diet. Uh, so for somebody like me that's uh, you know, extremely efficient with the carb, if you start pulling fat from my diet and just giving me higher protein, higher carb, then that doesn't help me the same way. Now if you run into somebody like Luke, for example, uh, that protocol will work very well for him. For somebody like me, it would actually make more sense to actually pull carbs and some fat so that if you're trying to reduce caloric load, but you know what? We also know that, uh, you know, reducing caloric load doesn't always work the same way. So, uh, you know, you're kind of in this, you know, like, and, and if you guys have been to the seminar and heard me get up and give the nutrition talk, which can anywhere be anywhere from 45 minutes to four hours, depending on, you know, talk <laughs> um, I've seen bodybuilders and I've seen extremely lean, uh, people, you know, single digit body fat in great shape that were eating a high carb, high protein, low fat diet. I've seen people that were shredded off of a high pro- or a moderate protein, high fat, no carb diet. I've seen people off a low protein, low fat, high carb diet be shredded. I've seen people that ate, uh, higher carb, moderate protein, higher fat diets shredded every single macronutrient ratio that I've examined. There is somebody in that camp that champions that and it's fucking shredded. Now, John, what do
3: you think? Now I'm going to jump ahead of you. Isn't the common goal that they also train consistently and they're consistent with their diet and like as hard as they plan their meals, they're training in the gym?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like, you know, I hate to beat a dead horse, but what are you training for? I mean, if the whole idea is to lean out, then you know what? Great. Then uh you know, do we care what performance looks like? No. All right, well then let's let, let's employ some other methods. Uh let's uh if, if your whole deal is to lean out, let's uh you know figure a fancy way to do some caloric restriction, which just looks like fasting. Um, you know, let's uh let's figure out you know how many calories you should eat, let's uh you know do some aerobic base, let's you know, figure out some infrared saunas. Uh, you know, and if you really want to fucking, you know, trim down and get down to you know four or 5% body fat, we'll hitch you over to Tyler, who will put you in a bath of Epsom salts uh, for, you know, with super hot water for 45 minutes. And all of a sudden you'll come out looking like a supermodel. So, I mean, like at the end of the day, like, what does it look like? And I think the hard thing with what a lot of people see is they see, Hey, this works for this person. Well, that person just figured out what worked for them. So like, you know, and, uh, you know, we see it all the time. Like, Hey, you know, this is me. I stand up and I look here. And I think at the end of the day, like if you can eat real food and, you know, like the idea of like, you know, uh, I gotta have a cheat meal every day. I mean, it's just like, dude, I, I just think like there's just so many misconceptions, uh, about diet and nutrition that's only perpetuated through people that it's only, uh, interest is separating you from the money in your wallet. And then you have, you know, a bunch of doctors and a bunch of people that because they have an MD on their chest figure, they, they know something about it. But the problem that I run into is most of the doctors that I've met are really unhealthy and don't know shit about nutrition. You know, the idea that, uh, you know, Hey, well, uh, just, you know, when you talk to a guy like, you know, Tom Minkleton who's done blood work on tens of thousands of people, there's just some very, very simple truths. The people that eat a varied You know, a Roy G. Biv type diet of real foods, uh, regardless of macronutrient ratio, are healthier than people that don't. The people that exercise a minimum of six hours a week uh, are in great shape, regardless of what the macronutrients really look like. So if you can eat real foods and exercise six hours a week, and I know that sounds really easy, but you think about that's like 40, that's 45 minutes doing. I'm sorry, uh, 45 minutes, seven days a week or an hour every day of doing either lifting weights, uh, some form of aerobic work, doing something, you know, you want to go and uh, do gymnastics body or raw water or something. I mean, like whatever it looks like, and you want to do supplement your training. If you are doing something every single day, then, you know, your chance of uh, being in great shape is exponential. And I think like a, a big thing that that I, I I haven't really figured out is there was this uh, I, and I don't know when it fucking happened, but everybody became so fearful of overtraining, like that was like that that one blows me away. Like in in, in gyms, it's like oh well, you know you you know you can only train four days a week. You you know hit the upper body twice. You know you know, you know uh, I got to be in and out of the gym in forty five minutes. I'm like dude, it's it's fucking bullshit. Like. The problem is, is and, and we, we've seen this, dude. We've seen it in ourselves. We've seen it when we went to the commercial gym. How many people legitimately are fucking grinding for 60 minutes? You know? Like, how many people are in there just fucking hammer, hammer, hammer? No, dude. It's probably about total about 20 minutes worth of work with about fucking two hours of bullshitting and walking around and checking yourself out in the mirror. So, uh, like, this shit isn't rocket science. But the problem is, is that, like, people aren't realistic. And it's like, well, I, you know, I don't want to eat that diet. Well, that's fine because I want to eat, you know, cheap – I, I want to eat cheap food. I want to sit down and eat a whole bag of fucking Pringles and I want to do this and this. Well, that's fine. But, like, there is no have your cake and eat it too. Uh, there's no way for me to out-supplement a shitty diet. There's no way for me to, like, figure out your perfect macronutrient ratio that allows you to eat whatever the fuck you want and still be in great shape and, uh, and be healthy. Now, are there outliers? 100%. Can you take a shitload of drugs uh, that – you know, allows you to, to skew it and fucking, you know, you know, basically change lead into gold? Yes, 100%. You know, like you can, you know, I remember Dave Tate told me once that if you take enough drugs, regardless of what you put in the fire, you can turn it into energy and you can turn it into fuel and, and coal. So, I mean, uh, you know, that's another big thing. I mean, you know, I mean, what you guys are seeing in terms of the internet, what people are putting out, you don't always know what's behind the curtain. So, um, yeah, and
3: John, I like before we jump into that, let's just cut it. Okay. Right, and so, let's get into, let's go to Positive Town. Text, let's yeah, go I, with the question I, on the forum.
0: I'm not trying to get negative. I just, uh, you know, the thing is, is that, uh, you know, and I'm not trying to go down to, into Negative Town. I'm just telling you, like, what we've been doing in this country and the inf- and, and, like, this is what I don't understand, is that when you go back and you hear people say these things over and over again and you don't see it work on a mass scale, you either have to take a step back and say maybe the message we're putting out isn't working because not everybody can be fucking lazy. I mean, it's like you see a person that's overweight and be like, well, obviously they fucking eat too much and they're lazy. And you're like, well, what if they're working out every day? What if they're caloric restricting and they're not meeting their goals? Then what is it? They're like, well, they, they, they must be lying. It's like, you know, and we had, I, I, I had a client. The dude was eating perfect and dude was training, doing all stuff. And I'm like, and I, I remember looking at the guy and being like, well, you're showing me this meal log doesn't equate to what I'm seeing physically. And I even, aside, I was like, this guy has to be full of shit. And you know what? Maybe he's not. Maybe he really was doing that. And maybe, uh, you know, what he was doing in other ways wasn't helping him or he wasn't training enough. I mean, who knows? I mean, at that point, that's when you send him to a guy like Tom Inklid you're like, dude, let's get the blood work done. What is going on huh. under the hood of the car that we are not seeing? Um, you know, is it low, is it inflammation because you can't sleep? It's like all of a sudden you, you know, your sleep is shit. And then, you know, you're going to put on body fat because of cortisol and you're having all these other problems. Well, the most perfect diet in the world isn't going to fix that. It's kind of like, yeah, um, yeah, for sure, for sure. so all right, go on. I'm sorry.
1: All right. So positive twist here. Uh, this is from the forums A fun question we all answered with everything being equal time was enough no travel nutrition on par and sleep was good what program would you be doing and why luke you want to lead us off
3: yeah i'll jump into it you know i think and i hope it's fun I can still jive but i i would like to have basically double sessions of just everything Everything about Field Strong is is beautiful to me. And then probably, like, obviously you need that Jack Street in there uh, once or twice a uh, week. But uh, so I'd be following Field Strong-esque with some sprint work as well because I want to fucking stay faster. I don't want to be one of those guys, listen, 33 years old, people say once you hit 30, everything goes downhill. Dude, what is the rock stage on? At 42, he's not even began to peak.
0: No, uh, The Rock said uh, he got in the best shape of his life at 43, which uh, I'm fucking – I'm totally in. That's, uh, I'm, so
3: I want to stay on The Rock's track, and I want to follow that line. And I uh, just want to try and keep my speed up. Uh, not like the fastest guy, but I want to get faster. And then – but all of this has to come into, like, some sort of play, like some sort of sport, some sort of adventure. You know, whether it's, like – I know, like, uh, Dwayne Fishel is one of our guys. He's been doing a lot of, like, mountain biking and off-road biking and shit. Like, that sounds cool, fucking – get back into flag football with the, with those boys from the Lantern, go win a national championship. But they're all just, like, they're falling apart, except for my buddy Jupe, who I'm with right now. But <laughs> So, like, just something like that that is, like, competition-based, like, leading to the sport and competition. And that's what, uh, you know, I think a lot of the being busy and the travel and stuff kind of takes away. Is like, you can't join any weekend warrior rec league, shit like that. There's really no culmination to the training, you know? So that's where uh, that's where my headspace
0: is at. You know, me personally, um, and I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I I I like when I program the field strong stuff. Uh, I one, I wish that we trained at like noon during the day and could do all that stuff. The problem is for us. So yeah, we, yeah, that, that that's, know, it, that's a good point I'm, too, I'm John. At, like, I'm up at like five thirty, you know, and it's like I'm trying to sneak out the house before the baby wakes up, and then uh, you know, all of a sudden the fucking clock strikes like 745 and i gotta bail because uh i gotta you know go home and make breakfast and get the little kids to school and do that and then i gotta run home and get ready to get here so um you know something like a grindstone and kind of jack street that we could fit into a better template but you know i mean we still like we've been going out and doing our sprint stuff on wednesdays and uh you know we try to get more conditioning and stuff on the weekends but um to me uh jack street's a a very very pointed sharp implement very cool program for what it does which is about put on people but for me uh i get really excited when i when i see the field strong stuff i think fuck man i wish i wish i had the uh the time to really because i mean we tried it we just couldn't really give it the oh, fucking coffee maker um did you hear about uh, you?
3: yeah you couldn't we couldn't give it the attention it deserved you yeah. know because the way we the so what just at the level which we trained on like I was talking this morning we I went to a global gym and trained just some you know Pekasaurus Rex chest attack, and uh we were in and out like forty minutes, and it's like the amount of aerobic base you tap into affects your high level power output, you know what I mean, so it's like if you want to give field strong proper justice, you know you gotta to let it go uh like three hours i think three hours is, is like a, a solid training session to like get all of that shit out you know
0: sure sure no it's um yeah i mean it's it it can be kind of spun down but the problem becomes uh uh like there needs to be a fair amount of, like, pre- and post-workout type stuff. I mean, I I, I think –
3: Exactly, and that's that's kind of what I'm talking about. It's, like, all the shit that we – because the stuff, like, we follow Jack Street. Like, we follow Grindstone. But we do – like, there's even more that we do in the gym that, like, we can't unleash on the people because they'd be like, oh, it's too much. I can't handle it. Like, the program won't work if I don't check every box off, you know? So it's like – we also,
0: uh, uh, you know, think about it, you know, pre train heroic. I mean, when I first, if you guys were around in the early days at Fieldstrong, um, we had people quitting in droves because it was, uh, too much training, too much program. You were giving too much. And so uh, that was interesting to me. Cause I was like, my, my comment is, well, why are you quitting? Just do what you can. Well, I don't want to do this if I can't do everything. And I was like, I, I, I just was like, and I'm, I'm sure there are people that may be listening to this that send me this email. And, um, uh, I fucking wanted to find your address and come kick you in the fucking balls. Uh, because I'm like, well, dude, uh, like that type of fucking attitude. So, I mean, you know, we, we've kind of pared it back, but, um, you know, the, in, in a lot of ways, um, to really be able to like really this glean out the fucking gold and field strong, it was a lot of the workouts, a lot of the, you know, dynamic stuff. So, I mean, we still do a lot of things, but, um, you know, for me, it's just, the Olympic lifting just fucking kills my shoulder, so I mean, I, I you know we'll still do a bunch of dynamic pulling and that, but I just can't do full variances of the lifts anymore, which just is, is fucking hurts my feelings. I really love the Olympic lift, and um, you know still will try to do the jumps, but uh, yeah, uh, if if you have the time and you're a fucking fire breather and uh, not a you know forty year old dad of three that has to race home to fucking make his kids breakfast and eggs. Um, fucking dive into Field Strong. I mean, dude, literally dive into that thing and like suck the marrow out of it. That's what it's there for. I mean, that stuff is all based on some of the best training that I've ever done and some of the best training of the athletes I've worked with and some really killer programs. And so, um, you know, when I put that stuff out there, uh, you know, it always makes me like wish I could go back and be a 23-year-old professional athlete that didn't have a wife or kids and my only job to, uh, you know, bang heavy weights and go out and try to slay broads. (laughs) <laughs> so, I guess what
3: I also want to text, you, but like, if you're grindstone and Jack in the basics and uh, uh, Street are still legit, but like, what Field Strong is pared down to do? And I, I loved it was just so simply put by um, who was our man born to run? Remind
0: me of his name. Oh um, I, yeah, Chris McDougal. Chris
3: McDougal. He's like, just be useful. And like, what better way to prepare someone to be generally useful than build them into an athlete? with athletic style training. And that's like, that's what I want to be. It's just consistently useful for whatever the task is, you know? So sorry to cut you off, buddy. No,
1: John just nailed what I'm training for pretty much. So I I do have the time for field strong every morning. And the reason is I'm on the East coast and I don't start getting emails from Luke or getting, getting yelled at until like at least 11 AM over here. Uh, So my, I do have enough time. So I followed field strong. The only thing I would change is, if I have a fucking training partner. So the hardest part is just training solo. So I'm missing that competition just fucking, uh, and push from other people. So I've had to find creative ways to motivate, motivate myself. Uh, and the other thing I would add is Saturdays would just be freaking recess. So whether it's like ultimate frisbee, pick up basketball, fucking spike balls, my new obsession, but I don't have anyone to play with or, uh, <laughs> A classic Ruiz, surf and turf. Just find oh, ways to get...
0: of free- all well, what's going on with Ruiz, man. There's, like, ah. like Riff rap and the Misfits. I mean, dude, he's changing things. Like, you know, I, I know he's into rebranding, but uh, I can't even follow the rebranding anymore. I got to, like, fucking wrangle him in. I mean, I don't know if anybody can at this point. I mean, you know, it's like you can't hope to contain him. You can only hope to, like, encircle him a little bit. Yeah.
1: Well... In terms of, he still put some videos up, and Saturdays, I just tried to do those. And, and Luke, every time we travel, uh, I don't know if you can tell just how fucking excited I am. I'm like a, a dog that the owner comes home. I'm like, dude, what do you want to do? Let's do this.
0: Let's do that. And, and she, Luke's like, hey, yeah. let's, uh, let's hit the local uh, metery and try to consume eight pounds of flesh. In Texas, like, no, 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 no. No, Spike. No, Spike. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, John, let me ask you this. All
3: right, and well, I mean, why not just continue the perpetual bashing of the clinic? What do you think is worse for if for text? Pairing text with the clinic or text training alone?
0: Uh, you know, the problem is is that uh, – Because uh, I
3: think the clinic will manipulate you into cutting corners and cutting the training short
0: impossible. because he's
3: like water. He will find the easiest path where I, like, view the training like – find the hardest path and attack it with the fury of a thousand suns.
0: You know, that's uh, where I see the
3: best results.
0: Uh, I tried to, you know, the problem is, is that the clinic is so just mellow, even keel, like non-exciting. Like I always, am like, can I just get a little bit of enthusiasm? Like, give me a little bit, like, let's get excited. Like, I feel like, uh, uh, you know, just, I don't know. Uh, he's a bit of a succubus. Um, I love him, but, uh, he definitely is, you know, like, I'll, I'll just give you probably one of my favorite training partners in the world was uh, Kyle Turley. Because uh, Kyle was like so fucking wound up every day. And like every set was like the last set we were ever going to do. I remember like we were like banging heavy weights. And Kyle was like, you know, uh, like no matter what Kyle did in the weight room, uh, I was going to one up him just, it's it's fucking doesn't matter what it is. Like if Kyle was going to bench 225 for, for 10, I was going to try to bench fucking 450 for 10. Like I was going to like humiliate him so bad in everything. And, uh, the best part about it is, is he was like after everything, like the minute he saw it, he was like trying to give me all of his energy. So he was uh, like some of my best training days were, were with Kyle and um, you know, he was just a, a, that type of person that just had that kind of like infectious uh, you know, energy to kind of push out. And um, you know, that's the type of thing. The other thing too, which is nice is to really train with dudes that are seriously fucking strong and are serious about what they're doing. Like aren't fucking around. And I think when you start lifting heavy weights and the poundages get up to where, you know, somebody might lose a finger or get killed. I I think at that point you got to be locked in. And so um, it kind of pulls the bullshit out of a little bit, but uh, uh, you know, today as I was coming in to work out, I was really just tempted just to go to the 12 and fucking with a set of headphones and uh, just bang on the machines. But oddly enough, I knew the clinic was going to be here and he'd probably sit in the car until he got here. So, but I don't know. Um, You know, I think uh, training partners are, are, are great in that, you know, they can pick you up on certain days and you can pick them up on certain days. But at the end of the day, if like the only, you know, the only way you can get through a workout and train is with, uh, with, without a, or with a training partner, I think you're, you know, screwed if that person doesn't show up, you know?
3: Oh, for sure. But uh, like, that's the biggest thing I, you know, cause John, we've been there. Like, where it's just, like, uh just a rough travel weekend, and I'll come in, and I'll just be, like, dog shit. And you're like, well, we got to do it. So, fucking get your ass in gear and let's go. Yes. And if I didn't have that, I'd, I'd be honest with you, if you weren't there and it was just Nate, I'm sure we would be going to breakfast. And you fucking know we would.
0: Oh, yeah. He he tried to, like, hand on that shit to me today, and I was like, nah, man, we got to get this done. So, he, uh, yeah, you know, he man. He, yeah, he was regaling me with stories of uh, his um, uh, going to that cannabis convention deal and all the people he met and was trying to, you know, talk to me a little bit about it. So I gave him about 20 minutes of talk time and then I was like, yo, man, let's go hit this shit. So that's why I got him on the, uh, on the bamboo bark just because I knew it was fucking shatter his existence.
3: Nice. Well, text, you just texted me about a question. Let's do this one. This is going to be one.
0: All righty.
1: This is from Fat Bastard123. If you are not a coach, how much benefit would you get from attending a CrossFit football cert?
3: I I just think here's the thing about not being a coach. Like, at uh, at Vernon Hills, we had a gal there who was like, I'm not a coach. I'm strictly here for personal reasons. And, And, like, I told her out of the gate. I'm like, then be sure you're the most selfish person here. Like, we will give uh every ounce of information knowledge coaching that you want to take from us and you know i guarantee people don't take advantage of it tex would you agree with that statement So yeah absolutely so yeah i mean you know yeah go ahead in the in like when we were in ecuador when ben and ben oliver and i were in ecuador uh years ago i think it was the first time john let us off the leash uh, the king the guys were just like you know it it was a big $795 $795 us seven hundred ninety five U S dollars was a huge investment for these people, and what the host had told us, and you know, we're like, how strict are like timetables? He's like, honestly, like how long are you guys willing to go? Because these people, I guarantee, will stay all night if you guys are willing to stay all night, because they've just like mortgaged their lives to get here. You know, it's not a very wealthy part of the country that these guys came from. So we fucking dude, Ben and I were there from nine a.m till 9 p.m., 12 hours on day one, and then same thing on day two, just 12 hours, 24 fucking hours of just coaching and working out and training with these guys. They fucking loved it, you know, so I think it'd be a huge benefit, and obviously, when I went my first time, I went thinking I was going to improve as a coach, which I did, but it changed the way I trained personally much more significantly than the way i coached if that makes sense you know which in the long term influenced how i currently coach people
1: so we do get a lot of people that are currently on our programming so maybe they coach kind of part-time but they first thing they say is i'm on grindstone i'm on jack street i'm on field strong and i'm always harder on those people because this is the first time that they actually get eyes on for somebody because most of those programs they do solo so I try to put them in the best position to make sure that they are executing every movement that they've experienced with an actual coach yelling at them. So anybody that's coming there for an athlete reason, those are the people that
0: we're the most hard on.
3: Trex, you said hard on like six times. John, did you pick that up? Are we going to have to censor that?
0: Uh, I don't think so. Um...
1: Well, I thought we were renaming or rebranding our podcast to – Hot heart. So I'm just kind of in that mindset. Uh,
0: Yeah. About that. (laughs)
3: Uh, But uh, I don't know anything to pile on there, John, in terms of like being just an athlete coming to the seminar.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, when we originally started, the idea was that we were trying to create better coaches um, and the idea that Uh, you know, and, and I subscribe a little bit to like those who are athletes can, and those who can't anymore usually become coaches. So, you know, in the NFL, you play for a long time, you're a good player. And when you don't get to play anymore, you have the option to be a coach. And so, you know, then at that point, your knowledge is useful and you go on and you get into a more kind of a teaching role and go that way. But, uh, you know, and and when we started the seminar was the idea about increasing somebody's ability to coach an athlete. Um, What's, kind of fascinating with the crossfit is uh everybody is still an athlete they just might happen to own a gym where they coach people which affords them the athlete lifestyle so i kind of fucked it up a little bit i thought that you know these people were when i say these people i mean the crossfit community was opening gyms because they were you know okay with abandoning their fitness and abandoning themselves as athletes to become coaches and that's just not the case. Uh people in the CrossFit deal, I mean you see it all the time. I mean how many box owners are competitive CrossFit athletes and competing in the games? I mean even guys that are own gyms that are masters athletes like you know Andy Hendel for example, um you know owns you know a couple of gyms. I mean box owner and coach and here he is, you know competing and dominating the masters. So uh I kind of missed the mark a little bit in that and realized that most people were owning gyms because you know realistically, they probably just wanted to train full time. And Hey, it's great. If we can open a gym, I get a place to train, get a bunch of people come in. I get to subsidize my training. And so uh, uh, that was kind of a miss your mark. So, you know, we've gone back now and, you know, designed the field not only to teach you how to coach, but also to train you as an athlete and to teach you how to do stuff. Uh, You know, there's a lot of things that we teach at the football seminar that are universally applicable to not only CrossFit, but all athletics uh, the idea that you need to be able to squat, you need to be able to, you know, move and you be able need to be able to assess people to figure out where they're deficient. Um, you know, we have uh, a short part of the seminar is based on, you know, teaching sprint mechanics and how to do it. I mean, that needs to be a two day deal because I don't believe there's really anybody out there in this space right now that is teaching sprinting. Um, you know, there's people that, you know, teach jogging or fast jogging. Uh, but you know, Teaching somebody how to run, you know, 800 meters or a, you know, a 5K, uh, while valuable in terms of uh, a workout uh, for a CrossFit deal, might not be as valuable in terms of power and strength athletes. You need to te- teach somebody to put their foot in the ground, fucking punch and hammer, swing and drive, and fucking run as fast as you can for a short period of time. And unfortunately, um, you know, fucking broken endurance runners that are 135 pounds are teaching people how to, you know, run 5Ks and even 100 miles aren't really meeting the demands of which we do. So, you know, I mean, even though we're, you know, we are teaching sprint stuff, we need to really go down that road. And I think that would be not only useful to a lot of athletes out there, but be useful to coaches. So um, is there benefit to coming? Fuck yes. I've been to all all the seminars and I don't say this because it's mine, but I think it's probably the most universally applicable and the most um, useful of all the seminars in terms of training athletes. Now, you want to learn to get your level one, you want to go to CrossFit level one, great. You need to learn to Olympic lift. You need to do all these different things for all tools in the toolbox. But in terms of taking a program and being able to implement it to work with sports specific athletes or really athletes looking to, you know, use their skill for some form of sport or something bigger than just the training. Uh, I think we got a, you know, we got that market cornered. And if you haven't been, I think you're fucking up.
3: Dex, what's um, I'm, I'm popping on the Instagram. There's a good amount of uh, good amount of questions. Can we do like speed round shit? Sure. Like, like, namely the one I want to speed round. If you don't, if you guys don't mind, and John, you're, you're grounded from this question because I think you're going to go off. Um, so I have an inch leg, inch leg length discrepancy in my femurs, and notice sometimes I'll even shift my weight into longer leg under a heavy squat. Is there anything I can do to correct this? Should I wear lifts on the shorter leg? Is this something that could be helped by more hip mobility? One, I would ask: make sure you actually have something like if you've done, taken X-rays and had these measured. Find a, uh get a second opinion if you have one. Cairo, who's telling you this, and they're trying to just get you back to treat you each week. And at the end of the day, if uh, you know, going back to our Dan John podcast, uh, if you truly have discrepancy in length in your hips, uh, maybe God didn't want you to squat low, and you should squat to where you don't shift and you look good, and uh, you should stay in that range of motion, and you should give up on bilateral deep squatting. And maybe do more lunges or step ups, things like that. That's for Brett.
1: That's all right. Next question. I guess speed round. After you get an athlete to reach all main benchmark goals, like two times body weight, back squat, as an example, what do you do with them after that speed round? Jack, take it. Why stop there? Or how about a double body weight lunge? So you keep keep training hard and keep going for it. Can't just be satisfied, I guess, with a, somebody else's double body weight back squat. Or maybe you can start depth jumping because you have that strength now.
3: Yeah, jump higher. How about that? Like, make it more, be more dynamic. What do we got next, Tex?
1: And this is from Lost Angel nine one nine. Who the fuck named Ecaf? John.
0: What? Oh, who named Ecaf?
1: Yeah, the rowing
0: workout. Oh, the rowing workout. Uh, Ecaf is named for Aaron Cafaro. So Ecaf is what uh, Kelly Starrett <laughs> called Aaron Cafaro. Aaron is a uh, uh, multi-gold medal winner. Um, you know, Berkeley grad, Cal, uh, Golden Bear and uh, used to train at Starrett's gym, and ECAF, uh, Erica Farrow was uh, her brother, J.D. Kafar was a good buddy of mine, played football at Cal as well. Uh, she's just a crushing rower, and uh, that was a workout that Starrett had, and uh, it was called ECAF, and uh, that's who it's named for. So uh, I named it ECAF because uh, it was a rowing workout, and that was for Erica Farrow. All
1: right. What kind of movements right. would you – what kind of movements would you prescribe for a guy that works in an office and wants to improve posture and position while at
0: work? Uh, Kelly Starrett came out with a great new book called uh, Desk Bound, Standing Up to a World a Sitting World. And uh, Kelly put out a great book. I mean, um, you know, we've been, uh, you know, going through it. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, like, you know, talking about things unless we actually use them and put them in. And Kelly's got – a ton of great information in here about, you know, how to mitigate uh, the problems associated with sitting too fucking much. So if you work in an office, I think uh, you owe it to yourself to go find Dr. Kelly Starrett's new book called desk found and I'm going to punch it to him. But uh, you know, in terms of things we do try to get up and walk around, uh, you know, go stretch your calves, do a little thing. But I think Kelly really is addressing a market that hasn't been addressed. And I think he kind of owns the space and I'm fucking stoked for him.
3: And, you know, what? the one thing I did do and I have still been doing is uh, I got out of a comfortable chair. So that's one thing he says, like, try to find the hardest surface to sit on because it'll promote shifting around and shit. And I'll tell you what, it's fucking made a difference uh, just in that because you're more prone to get up, walk around, stand during the podcast. You know, stand when John showed me YouTube videos of dogs and cats playing and stuff like that.
0: No, well, okay. the only one we ever watch is uh, the – the uh, 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 Wrecking Ball? Yeah, the the Chat Roulette uh, uh, Wrecking Ball one. That's the only one. Like if I'm ever having a bad day like or I'm pissed off about something, I need to laugh, I'll watch that and instantly be in a good mood.
3: Ah, uh, dude, that is a great video. So, I mean, basically all you got to do is Google Chat Roulette Wrecking Ball, right, and it'll pop up. Just look for a dude that looks like Armin Hammer in Tiny Whitey's.
0: Well, he's naked, too, which is even funnier. But <laughs> alright I'm going to uh, jump on
3: a speed round here, Tex. How do y'all program CrossFit football training? How do you know what to prescribe for each day? Um, honestly, when I first moved out to Newport Beach, I was really impressed with John's collection of pigeons in his backyard. So he has these carrier pigeons that just bring in workouts every day from all over the world, and they land every morning at 6 a.m. in his kitchen. They flutter down onto the breakfast table and they drop a workout. And uh, honestly, John then he couriers that. To, he has Nate drive that to me, then I proofread it, make sure the pigeon spelled everything correctly, and then Callie posts it on the website. So that's, that's how the system works, really.
0: Well, you guys saw the movie Wanted, where they uh, they have those looms and then there's information in the looms. Is That's their,
3: wanted, isn't Wanted the movie where they bend
0: bullets? Yeah, but you don't remember that? That, like, uh, the Secret Society of Assassins was actually started <laughs> as weavers, as people making fabric, and the, the, the oh, sacred weavers yeah. like, read some weird, uh, like, pattern, or there was some code within the looms that allowed oh, yeah, them to yeah. know who to kill in the world to keep the balance up. Well, we have the same thing, but it's not a loom. It's more uh, grilling steaks. So we grill (laughs) steaks, and then the actual char grilling on the meat, uh, you know, is done in such a pattern that it gives, uh, you know, a secret code that allows us to unlock cross-the-football workouts.
3: But one thing that does parallel the movie wanted is we do bend our bullets as well. So that's a real thing.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, it's pretty amazing. Something that will fly in a straight line that fast – you can alter the trajectory with a actually quick flip of the wrist. And uh, oddly enough, though, uh, I don't know how many of you guys listening have ever, ever tried to bend the bullet, um, but I I am not, uh, you know, one of those, you know, Angelina Jolie, you know, rare uh, weaving loom people because I tried probably about a hundred rounds to bend the bullet and I couldn't get it to bend. So, I also tried to do a drive-by shooting with a fully automatic weapon, and I couldn't hit anything either. So I'm always amazed why that's a good idea too. Let's
3: let's go ahead and just add a little more context to that job. like that you weren't drive-by shooting a human.
0: Oh no, no! What we were doing was we were at the range, and uh, when I was doing some training with some with some guys with, with some people to do some stuff, and we actually were like, I wonder if you could hit anything, and we were we were driving by uh, targets in a car uh, with full auto dumps, and could not hit any of the targets. So I'm just saying, any that, guys out there that are, that. You know, gang related uh terrible idea. Just don't do it because you'll never hit anything. Um you know and that's why like you always see these dudes like go by spray bullets and like four blocks away like kids are like falling like I'm like yeah, they never hit anybody. So I think uh once again uh you know we've, Hollywood has lied we've, to us. Well uh, you know like I don't know, man. There, there seems to be a lot of shit that's perpetuated that, uh, you know, whether it be in the media, be in movies or whatever it is that gives, uh, fucking dipshits ideas that this is the way things should be done. And, uh, all, and it just ends poorly because the people that are propagating it and putting it out know even less. So it's kind of like, uh, it, it, it kind of reminds me of like, uh, fuck, I don't even know, like, Uh, you know, people doing stupid shit just to see if fucking uh, other people will do it. You know, it's like, man, I wonder if we uh, put out a movie where they bend the bullet and then we'll see if people will try to bend the bullet. Like, that's what I almost think that like majority of the world is just trolling stupid people uh, to see if they can get people to do it. And then all of a sudden the news, it's like some guy uh, killed another guy when he attempted to reenact a movie where they bend the bullet by, you know, I mean, and that was a true fucking statement. It's like, um, uh, do you remember when the program came out that and scene when they were like laying on the center of traffic and then all of a sudden what happened? A bunch of people went out and they laid in traffic and they all fucking died or they got hit by cars and I remember thinking when I saw that scene that not one iota, no, not one ounce of me thought man we should go lay down in traffic and see what the fuck happens and that's where I think like some of this stuff might be designed to be population control you
3: know? <laughs> so, uh, Hello, I, do want to, I do want to go on a, a sidebar of a movie. Text, do we have any other questions?
1: Uh, not that irrelevant, but I, I, had, I had a movie revelation while I was on the flight back from Korea. So go ahead, Luke, and oh, yeah? I got a solid one here.
3: Uh, well, you know, I'm embarrassed to say that many months after its initial release, last night was uh, the first time I had ever started to watch The New Point Break. Oh, how was it? And
1: you said started to
3: watch. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> here's the thing. Like, it's a great movie. And not in, like, the great that everyone wants to hear. And if people have seen it and kind probably of like, oh, it's garbage. Like, I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. John, it must be, like, a level of rhetoric that oh, I can't comprehend. Because the exchange of dialogue, I keep looking at my buddies who are watching this. I'm like, what are they? Like, I can hear the words, but I'm just not following the plot, how this dialogue is relevant to it. Like, I'm, I just don't understand the spirituality of it, I guess, but God well, damn it. It's fucking great.
0: <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I see, you know, you've lived in California long enough to where the kind of the mystical Bo kind of dude, like I just don't know if you've had enough interaction with that guy. Like you know, like part of that okay. deal is um, you know, and and maybe this is something with Turley. Maybe we'll just get like a Winnebago. We'll find Bota Zephyr, We'll drive out to the Mojave, out to Joshua Tree, and uh, you know, we'll just like we'll we'll just let Turley get weird and we'll see what happens.
3: Oh my gosh! But I'll tell you what, I'm gonna finish this fucking movie because you know me, I don't. It's like a burrito, man. Once you start it, you just gotta finish it. And, uh, um, like
0: uh, on on a scale of like. One to ten, with um, ten being Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and one being uh, AI, which I single, I, I personally nominated for the worst movie ever fucking made is AI. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever saw AI. I hope you haven't. It's the worst. So I'm just wondering, like, where between Willy Wonka and Chocolate Factory and AI does this sound?
3: And here's the thing. I like. Here's what I really think. Here's uh, I'm going to give you two scores. Okay. I'm going to give you a four, and I'm going to give you an eight. Now, let me talk about the four. The four is the fact that they tried to remake Point Break, and the characters share the same fucking – like, they share the same names as characters I'm familiar with from the original with Swayze and and – Well, you got – Right? You got got Bodie. Here's the thing. It's like the Power Rangers. They're always wearing the same fucking colored, like, wingsuit then there's like if the guy's wearing a blue wingsuit then next thing you know he's wearing blue fucking uh snowboarding shit the snowboard's blue then his fucking surfboard is blue it's like what the fuck and then you know if they would have just made this movie here's the thing if they would have called this movie fucking the breaking point and they didn't rename these people after characters from the original point break i think i would give it a name. because i would have no grounds to compare it to and i'd be like wow cool this movie's retarded and stupid, and uh, I love every minute of it, like the Fast and Furious. So be up there in that seven eight area. You know, that's I guess there's my soapbox moment for the day. But uh, I still recommend everybody watch it.
0: Oh man, I mean, uh, I'll tell you, after watching The Revenant, uh, I don't know if I've ever seen a movie as intense as that movie. Uh, that's the movie Leonardo DiCaprio won the Oscar for, right?
3: Yeah, I mean that that movie is the proper intense, like. Uh, everything uh, that Point Break isn't.
0: I, I have not seen a movie that fucking intense. Uh, I really can't. Uh, there was a movie um, with Kevin Costner that was called No Way Out, or I, I think it was, yeah, No Way Out, where he was like a, uh, like, like a Navy officer, and he was getting interrogated by these, uh, you, know, what, you know, the government or whatever people about being a spy, and he's like, no, no, no. And then, like, the very end, it's like such an intense deal. He, like, starts speaking Russian. And you're like, oh my god, he was a fucking spy. Like that movie to me was fucking intense, and I remember like seeing it and just being like, oh my god, you know, uh, like the the reverent was. And then, dude, I uh, I really would like to have seen it in the movie theater, but unfortunately, I see cool things like Zootopia now, and um, and uh, Kung Fu Panda. Uh, but man, uh, the fucking intensity level. I mean, dude, yeah, it was pretty epic. I, uh, I, I definitely would chalk that up as one of the cooler movies I've seen for a long time
1: so I opted not to watch that on a plane so I could ex- at least experience it at home theater uh, but I'll tell you what movie I did watch was Any Given Sunday and within it's been years but then one of the characters one of the offensive linemen I was surprised to see the actor from the program that played Latimer yeah. so here's the revelation is Latimer made it pro so all those steroids fucking paid off. He was in the big leagues.
0: Well, um, Starting defense, see at the table. Me, oh, okay, dude, I'll, let me tell you my program story. So I'm a rookie in the NFL, and that movie comes out. And uh, I'm in Philadelphia, and my mom and dad are out there visiting with my girlfriend. And uh, we all decide to go see the movie because my mom's like, oh, my God, we got to go see this movie. And, and so – uh, you know, just mind you, there's really no social media at this time. There's no like, in, like, like we didn't really know about the, like we just saw like, you know, Oh, any given Sunday, you know, uh, you know, the real you know, NFL shit. So I'm a new NFL player. My parents want to go see it. So we go and see it. That movie is like, like we're watching it and I'm like the whole time as every scene, my mom and dad, and my girlfriend are looking at me being like, is this the way it is in the NFL? And I'm like, uh, I, uh, I fucking hope so. Uh, like I'm, I'm literally secretly hoping that there's cheerleaders at practice and fucking parties where dudes are getting their cars cut in half. Um, and I'm like instantly. And then as we're leaving, my girlfriend is fucking pissed at me and I'm like, why you know, like can't figure out why she's mad at me. And she's like mad because she thinks that like, this is the NFL and I haven't told her that that's what it's like. And I'm like, What? I was like, no, there isn't fucking like that. Like, all the, like, there's fucking nothing. So that movie uh, was pretty awkward when it came out. But, um, you know, I mean, pretty cool in the same right. I mean, shit. It's a pretty good movie. So oddly enough, though, I did never get to go to one of those parties. I never saw a car actually get cut in half. And um, But uh, the one thing you will write, you are uh, right about Latimer. But uh, I'll take it a step further and say that look at Captain America. You want to talk about, like, the biggest pro-steroid movie in the world. Look at him. He's a skinny weeb, doesn't get any chicks, nothing. They put him in a secret incubator created by a German uh fleeing Jewish doctor fleeing the Nazis or Hydra, whoever you want to say. And they put him in a chamber, put special serum in there, and turn him into like the fucking man. And I'm like, I'm watching this and I'm like. Wait a minute. Like this is this is really what we're watching right now? And people are like, Oh, Captain America. I'm like so they basically put Captain America on a bunch of like crazy ass steroids and did some genetic modifications and then he became the fucking man. I'm like, no wonder fucking people are taking all this shit. And then they're like, Oh, you know, but, but steroids are ruining the NFL. I'm like, No, they're not fucking ruining the NFL. Captain America's ruining the fucking world. So I
3: thought yeah. Captain America was all natty,
0: bro. Well, you saw him go into the incubator. Like and uh, then like just, like the chick like and, and my my favorite is he's, he's all like skinny dweeby and then he comes out and like the hot chicks like like all like you know panties got wet and like they're like wants to touch his chest and I'm like you got to be fucking kidding me every kid out there every every young Nate Austin at 165 pounds saw that shit and thought to themselves I'm I going, to get, I
3: gotta get checked
0: No I need to go get some protein some some I need I, I need to go get some fucking whey protein. And then when they got... Are you, t-
3: are you telling me that the supplement lobbyists are behind the production of Captain America?
0: No, I'm just telling you the way... So all they thought to themselves is, oh my God, I got to go get some supplements. And then you know what? They convinced their mom or whoever to buy them the supplements. They took the supplements. It didn't work and all it did is it gave them gas. So now they stink and they fart up a storm. And then they went to the oh, gym and they like saw the big jack dude and they were like, or like the big muscle dudes at the gym and they were like, hey bro, what kind of supplements you take, bro? And the guy's like, supplements. what the fuck are you talking about? And the guy's like, well, what kind of protein you taking? And the dude just kind of laughs him off. So the kid's butthurt, he goes home and he fucking gets on the internet and gets in some weird form and finds out that, you know, suff- you know that it's not supplements, it's, it's something else. And uh, next thing you know, fucking, you know, next thing you know, you got an Instagram account and you're posting up shirtless selfies of yourself talking about you're about to fucking go get your swole on at the gym and that you're a warrior. Going to slay the weights and,
3: and real warriors, real warriors, bang weights on Friday nights while other people are out having fun.
0: Well, it's because uh, you got to trade harder than me, bro. You know, while yeah. you're at the club, All I'm right. the working on my let's, fitness.
3: Let's not regale our listeners with any more of our like pet peeves about Instagram and the perpetual false images of vanity that people succumb to. Um. Uh, I say... I Anything I, else?
0: I heard a great comment the other day that being famous on Instagram was like being rich in Monopoly. yeah, <laughs> uh, Yeah, feels good. Both.
1: Um, I don't have anything. I'm still going to see Captain America: Civil War. That looks.
3: Oh, so high, obviously. All right.
1: Well, oh. were we sitting uh, at like an hour and a half here?
3: May fifth. Yeah, Come yeah out May solid 5th show. I like these shows.
1: Yeah. Well, hopefully, everyone else is. Well. Now what do you want to do?
3: <laughs> I guess I guess we'll just talk to each other next week.
1: Uh, so yeah, I'm out next week. I got the uh, CSCCA conference. Oh, that's
0: right. Whoa! Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. So I oh, I have to
1: play the game. Uh, strength coach or diabetic? It'll be a great time.
0: Well, but here's <laughs> the thing: coach or diabetic? If if all these strength coaches and trainers and doctors know so much about nutrition, then why are they in such poor physical shape?
3: They make a choice, John, not to follow their own advice.
0: I just think, dude, I, 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 I'm i coming to this fucking realization that, I mean, it, I'm not coming to it. I've been at it, that, like, this, it, it's almost like the minute you find yourself on the side of the majority, you need to take a look and think, fuck, something's wrong. Because, uh, you know, if, if it was as easy as just, uh, you know, calorie balance, you know, like, it, it's got to be something more. It's got to, I mean, and that's why... Uh, you know, going and getting blood work done with like Dr. Tom and looking for risk factors and being like, you know, we got to do something to you know improve your sensitivity or this. I mean, just just some, you know, or, or even looking at some micronutrient uh, deals like why isn't your body working as efficiently as it can? So I don't know. I mean, but John, like, could John, when's the last
3: time? When's the last time you talked to Tom?
0: Uh, on the phone or via text? Either or. Uh, like ten minutes ago.
3: Oh yeah. So did he tell? Because I had a phone call with him yesterday, trying to get him like, uh, we're we're gonna try to do a little collaboration deal with him. But he was telling me about how he's he's revolutionized the Cardinals game. He's, he's like he uh, he's ex- so excited to talk to you about this thing. So you got to do you have a new experiment to jump in with him.
0: Yeah. He um uh, we texted yesterday on uh the, uh, you know, there was some really interesting information that came out that, or nothing that came out, but like one of the things is, um, in the NFL, uh, they prescribe and they inject guys with a drug called Tordal, which is like a, a liquid anti-inflammatory deal. And I mean, it's pretty amazing. You get a Tordal shot and instantly all the swelling, in your body just fucking miraculously goes away. And you're like, damn, I'm ready to go out and kill somebody. Um, but the problem is, is that some of the side effects of Toradol, uh, you know, have to do with like cardiac arrhythmias, uh, you know, swelling in the heart and a bunch of weird shit. And so, um, you know, now they're, you know, finding NFL players that are having, you know, heart issues, like a you know, guy like Reggie White, you know, goes to sleep and dies in his sleep, you know, norm and hand. I mean, all these guys are, you know, having some, you know, whether it be inflammation within the lining of the heart, and distorper the aorta, and they're just basically just going to sleep, not waking up. And so there, you know, we were talking a little bit about, you know, why this could be happening. Could it be happening from sleep apia, all these different things. And, you know, maybe one of the contributing factors would be, uh, um, you know, something like a tort which is, you know, kind of interesting in a lot of ways. But um, so just pretty fascinating stuff. So I've, I've been putting together, I'm, I'm, I'm going out to a deal out in Vegas to go speak to the gridiron greats about, uh, you know, what things are, uh, you know, being offered in terms of, you know, standard practice of care within medicine, that might not be beneficial to, to, to players coming up. And, you know, is there some genetic testing or some stuff that we can do to figure out if people are more susceptible to certain things. And then based on that, there needs to be an intelligent protocol put in place. Like if you would do some genetic testing and, um, you know, find out that you have a propensity towards opiate addiction, it might not be a good idea to prescribe a guy fucking 200, uh, you know, Vicodin or loratabs or whatever, you know, following an injury or if somebody has uh, you know, a greater propensity to perceived pain, then you know what, that's something that needs to be managed and understood. And I think the age old deal of just burying your head in the sand and you know, fucking turning guys on with standard of care has really just failed. And um so we're just looking to really good to do some cool stuff and I think that the information today, like uh, you know, Luke on that interview the other day they, they asked me repeatedly, you know, would I let my son play football? And I really had a, um, a long, long, long uh, kind of, uh, uh, you know, kind of talk with myself on, like, some soul-searching yesterday about it. And uh, I realized I would let my son play football. Uh, would I let my son play in the NFL? Uh, that's a completely different view. Yeah. So I, I think where people, you know, oh, football, and they kind of, you know, seamlessly kind of well, attack. What, let me
3: ask you this. Let me ask you this, Jet John, why not the NFL? Um, I mean, I, uh, with, I guess, but couldn't you arm Cash with the people in the information to give you real-time feedback as to when, like, if he what did make it to the NFL, when, like, you have to pull the riff cord before it's too late? Yeah, I,
0: I, I think uh all the greatest things I learned in life uh about you know, I learned from my mom and dad and playing football about teamwork, hard work, perseverance, just fucking go. Um, and, and, and I learned all those, uh, you know, at a fairly decent age, um, you know, and, and while the NFL was a very rich experience, I don't believe, uh, the NFL as an institution has any, uh, value, uh, uh, or I mean, sorry, has any, um, really care for the players. And I've always known that they didn't give a shit about us, but I, I would have a hard time, uh, you know, you know, and if you know, and if he's an adult and he wants to make that decision, I'd have to, you know, try to mitigate it with the best information I can. But if he asked me my opinion, I'd be like, you know, I wouldn't want you to work in a in a place in um, you know for a, an organization or a company that really has no vested interest in your health or you as an individual. Um, you know, it's just a big meat grinder, and they throw you in, and you know, when you can't do the job anymore, they just fucking hope you go away. And uh, um, I really just don't believe that the NFL has has a, you know, very much care for the players. And, uh, you know, that's been well documented. And the problem becomes that, you know, the fans really don't give a shit. Uh, The fans are fans of the team. They're not fans of players. Um, You know, I was reading some stuff today, you know, Conor McGregor, like Conor McGregor has made the UFC millions of dollars. He is by far uh, their biggest draw. I mean, they had a pre-fight press conference when he was going It was something like viewed by like, you know, 360,000 people online without him. It's like 20,000. Like the dude is the big draw. And you know what? He's like, I don't want to do this fucking media. You guys run me around this dog and pony show. I want to train and fucking hone my craft. And on top of it, I want to be paid commensurate with amount of money that is fucking related to the work and the money I'm generating you. And what do they do? Fuck you. You're out. You know, and people are like Kim, he, you know, you know, uh, it's part of the deal. It's part of the job. If you don't want to fucking do it, fuck you. And I'm like, fuck you, you fucking armchair piece of shit. Uh, The guy, you know, and they're like, he, you know, he has to do media wise so you can watch the fucking dancing monkey and they can sit there on opposite tables and throw insults at each other, which are fucking retarded. Uh, You know, you listen to, you know, and, and I, you know, Nate Diaz fought a great fight, but really not an exciting guy to listen to. And, uh, you know, just, you know, a bunch of stupid comments and like uh, at least Conor McGregor's, uh, uh, you know, somewhat, you know, he's articulate and he's actually exciting. Uh, I, I like listening to him talk trash, but, like, at the end of the day, like, all of that stuff is about selling the hype of the fight. And I'm like, dude, you do not have to hype uh, Conor McGregor and A.D.S., you know, UFC 200. All you have to do is put it up. Dude, I was so excited to buy that fight, and now I'm not going to buy the UFC 200 because uh, McGregor's not fighting. I don't give a shit who's fighting. That's the only reason I want to I watch the first one. I want to watch this one. And, um, you know, and the, the problem becomes is, you know, you, you have a – I mean, The the NFL is such a fucking conglomerate and such a a a mob type organization. I mean, you saw that bullshit they pulled with Tom Brady. That all of a sudden, you know, you have um, uh, our fucking great commissioner Roger Goodell, who's I I don't know what's. I mean, his his penis is probably uh, you know proportionally, you know, obviously proportionate to the size of his ego. Um, is the only thing I can fucking equate it to, but like you know they they got to uphold fucking t- really you're gonna fucking suspend Tom Brady for four fucking games over this bullshit deflate gate. It's such a fucking scam. And really like, do the people really think that that's why the fucking Patriots won? Like like let's not talk about like let's talk about shit that actually fucking matters. You know, and they're like, oh well the ball was softer and easier to catch, and I'm like, yeah, because that's the reason the Patriots were fucking winning. It's just it's fucking nonsense, dude. Like. Like the um, I don't know, like, like what professional sports has done a great job of is literally converting the masses into believing that the players are all these money grubbing fucking dipshits. And they fucking have perpetuated it so that the minute the player is like, hey, I'm not getting paid commensurate with what I'm doing. I want to get paid more. You're greedy. You fucking make enough. And the reason being is uh, uh, fucking jealousy. Fuck these guys. You know, they're making all this money playing. But yet they have no understanding of the organization. And you're like, dude. The player, like like the, the shit that people don't even realize in the NFL is that the, the teams don't pay the salaries. The TV deal pays the salaries, so the teams, the NFL goes in and negotiates, and the fucking TV deal pays our salaries. That's what goes into the fucking salary cap. The teams are making fucking hand over fist money, like on every way. And People are like, well, they they should. It's their business. And I'm like, well, then why does that not apply to us as players? Like you say, well, yeah, the team should make every money and the team should do this. But the minute that me as a player uh, sign an unfair contract or fucking did want to get paid commencement, I'm a fucking greedy piece of shit. And um, I, I just one, I don't understand it, and two, uh, um, uh, I wouldn't want to put my son in a situation where he was fucking fodder for to fucking line somebody else's pockets. Um, you know, if he if he makes that decision. I'm going to arm him the best way he wants. And I think football is a great sport and it's, you know, taught me a lot and I I wouldn't want to rob him of that ability, but in terms of uh, playing for the NFL and, um, you know, going into their meat grinder and just being a a fucking pawn in the greater scheme of a bunch of really, really rich men that don't value us and don't give a fuck about you as a fan. um, Fuck them.
3: But John, you know, one thing to consider too, is like, and granted, it's totally different because it's not your physical well-being being sacrificed, but that's like, any e fucking Fortune five hundred company as well. You know what I mean? Oh, like, I, but, they don't give a fuck about their people, it's all about the shareholders. And the shareholders are similar to but, like the shareholders are essentially the fans of the teams,
0: right? Yeah. I mean and, and that's a, that's the problem, is that uh um, you know, there is no humanity.
3: Like the difference I mean, is you're not putting your life on the line. Like your your longevity, yeah. your well being. It's just like yeah, it's really well, just it, your time and your quality well, of life.
0: It it becomes fucking real when, you know I mean, you have a uh, you know fucking Reggie White that dies at 43 years old from a fucking heart attack, or you have a uh, you know Junior Seau, and you know um, I mean these these fucking things, man, are, are are very real, and like that's fine, but you as an organization, the NFL, have a responsibility to exactly fucking take care of your people for the same fucking reason that the U.S. government has the uh, has the responsibility to uh, take care of the people that are fucking injured in a war. A guy gets his legs blown off. You know what? They have a responsibility to fucking get him back. I mean, you, you like, there's more, like, I, I I'd always think, like, when's enough? Like, when is enough money enough?
3: All right. Well, I mean, we got any more questions?
1: No, I think we covered everything.
0: All right.
3: Well, boys, I guess, uh, thanks with the exception of you, because you got your CCA deal. Uh, I guess what's... We'll- See you next
0: week. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Tell you later. Later.
2: Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can find all the programs discussed, including the blog posts, at our homepage, www.powerathletehq.com. Also, don't sleep on our Instagram account either. At Power Athlete HQ is a great source that keeps you entertained, informed, and sufficiently distracted at work.